Outside, we couldn't see it from our vantage point. fans and welcome to our king of the ring spectacular wow i am joe <laughs> Murata. this is michael quinn how you doing quinn i think it's squire michael quinn <laughs> can you get it right please sorry about that folks we are happy to talk to you about the specific world of retro wrestling that being the kingdom of retro wrestling <laughs> yes <laughs> with money in the bank just days away right around the corner we figured why not talk about that age-old classic june pay-per-view king of the ring the real june pay-per-view the right? real june pay-per-view when is that going to be on the network this year is that is that it a thing better be on the network Ugh. this year but anyway folks thank you so much for being with us for this special edition of our vantage point the retro wrestling podcast we have a few things to tell you number one is why don't you reach us on Twitter at OVP Podcast? You can follow us. You can tweet at us. You can send us stupid pictures and things like that. Yeah, we love everything. We Any, love everything. Anything that involves tweeting and pictures, we're we there. That. Yeah. We are there. We also have a Facebook group, Quinn. Yes, you can go on Facebook. Just search OVP Podcast. Hit the join button. We'll get back to you in minutes generally. And yep. you will be able to comment on such things as the King of the Ring. <laughs> Absolutely. We want to hear your thoughts on this, of course. You can email us at ovppodcast at gmail.com. That is ovppodcast at gmail.com. And Quinn, besides our SoundCloud feed, there's some places to find us. Yeah, you can find us over at Apple Pod- Podcasts, formerly iTunes Podcast. Yep. Uh, over there, you can leave a review, subscribe, so you don't have to like search for the show every week, and yep. it'll just come right to your phone. Yep. Uh, you can also get us on Google Play Music, Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, Otis, <laughs> Otis, whatever we call it. Auto Radio. Yeah, Auto Radio. Yes. Auto Radio is what it's called. Yeah. And of course, speaking of places, you can find this podcast and other great ones on theplacetobenation.com. Yes, you Some can. Some great stuff there. Quinn, I know that you are a fan of The Place to Be podcast with JT and Scott. Yeah, great little podcast talking about the mid-80s in professional wrestling, the house show circuit yep. specifically. The circuit. Yeah, the mother sip. The gold standard. Yeah. So folks, be sure to also check out our merchandise. We have the OVT. Yes. And you can find that on teespring.com slash OVP podcast. Why don't you get yourself some nice merch for the summer? Yeah. Nice short sleeve shirt. <laughs> nice short sleeve t-shirt with yeah. a logo on it. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess without further ado, we should mention that we are not alone today. Yes. We have a very special guest. We have joining us the <laughs> Earl of Edmonton, the Squire of Saskatoon. It is the Crown Prince of Canada, Mr. Scott Keith. How you doing, man? Uh, the Crown Prince. Wow. I've been promoted <laughs> since last time. Holy cow. Wow. Well, these things happen, man. The more appearances you make on our show, you're, you're going to be promoted the partner. <laughs> Is there money in it for me, though? That's what I want to know. Yeah, but it's Monopoly money, man. Yeah. Sorry. It's oh. not the real kind. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Scott, thank you, as always, for joining us. We always appreciate that. You are very welcome, gentlemen. So where can we find you these days, man? 
besides hanging out my lovely home in Saskatoon, I am currently writing for the Sporting News. I've been doing a weekly column where I'm delving deep into the uh, the list article that the world seems to enjoy so much. Yeah. <laughs> my, uh, my my last one was quite successful, and my uh, new one coming out, which will probably be out by the time this podcast airs, is actually going to be about uh, six wrestlers who held titles hostage. Ooh, interesting. Yes, I know. Very uh, <laughs> really leaves you wanting more, doesn't it? You're you're intrigued now. Your your interest is peaked. So yeah, I uh, Stan Hansen comes to mind, but I don't know if I'm if I'm reading don't too much. Don't ruin it. Come on, spoilers, <laughs> dude. Spoilers. Hey, I was gonna say someone else, I'm but I didn't say anything. I'm trying to build some suspense here. Come on. <laughs> Jeez, Joe. Sorry, it's just the King of the Ring has me all fired up. <laughs> yeah, I think you're yeah. gonna be sent to the dungeon, Joe. <laughs> oh, in the, in the Maybe, castle, not the guillotine, though, yeah. right? No, <laughs> yes. definitely not. Anyway, so yes, and of course, I'll, I'm always available at blogofdoom.com. That's my, my home base and stomping grounds. Uh, people can, can find me there and find links to these wonderful podcasts as well after they air. I usually throw them up on there for you guys. Thank you. You sure do, and we definitely appreciate that. Scott Keith equals ratings, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, he does. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, uh, I wish we could banter back and forth, <laughs> but we do have a show to do here. We have royalty to get to. <laughs> yes, that's right. So, folks, uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about the King of the Ring, and I figured a great place to start, and I assume uh, Mr. Keith will guide us through there, is before the 1993 pay-per-view, which was an addition to the Big Four. It was uh, the Big five, I yeah. guess. <laughs> in ninety three. Fabulous five. The fabulous five. There were King of the Ring tournaments that were not televised, and I believe that started back in the mid eighties. So Scott Keith, what do you know about all that? Well mostly it was a vehicle for Harley Race, of course, because he was the king of wrestling. It don't make a damn to me because I am the king. So in order to kind of create a more legitimate crown lineage for him, I guess, they gave him the win in both those tournaments, which I believe were on the East Coast. Out there in uh, in your neck of the woods, Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, wow. Yep, Providence, Rhode Island. Yeah, so yeah, Harley Race won them, became the king of wrestling, and uh, <laughs> both of them flopped. Which is kind of funny. It's it's weird actually that the tournament became like a thing on pay per view because it's not like the the shows did any great numbers in the in the arenas or anything like that. As much as everybody knows my feelings <laughs> on tournaments and the awesomeness that is within, it's kind of it was a strange concept for Vince to kind of keep kicking around and then and eventually bring to uh, to pay per view like that. And I, I mean, of course, the King of the Ring show never did any great numbers on pay-per-view or anything like that, right. either, but it's always a neat thing. But it was, yeah, it was Harley Race won it a couple of times. I want to say Randy Savage won it one year. I think you did. DiBiase won one, I believe. won it, yeah. I'm on my phone right now, so I can't use the Googles, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that sounds right, yeah. Yeah, and I think even Bret Hart won, like, the 1991, I want to say, which was the last one, I believe. Yeah, I would so, yeah. Yeah. So as far as the, the pay-per-view itself, Scott, do you know anything as to what motivated Vince to add a fifth pay-per-view in 93? Uh, yeah, specifically it was to cash in on Hulk. Okay. You know, he was coming back for WrestleMania with the, with the beefcake match, and Hulk's drawing power was not yet proven, but Vince figured, well, immediately Hulk's back, so we have to add another pay-per-view. Um, mm. As well, mm. you know, WCW was going in that direction as well, right? You know, adding... Any beach yeah. blast, bash at the beach and blow up the beach and whatever the hell else. They, <laughs> they're doing at the beach. Dudes at the beach. Dudes at the Dudes beach. Dudes at the beach. Lots of beach related stuff for a company based in Atlanta. So, you know, that's that's, that's true. Well, it's WCW. <laughs> it is yeah. WCW. So it was it was, you know, nuclear arms race. And, uh, and and obviously they couldn't let them just, you know, keep adding pay-per-views because that might help people have a choice in cable companies to choose something <laughs> WWF. Right. So. And God forbid, you know, with Vince. God forbid, that's right. So yeah, King of the Ring was added just as a thing. Now, Scott, question for you. 
what was the deal with them not really kind of mentioning that any of these people won the King of the Ring? Like, you know, other than Harley Race being on TV as the king and, you know, them like defending the kingship, I guess. It's like there was no mention of these tournaments that would take place every year. Was there any reason behind that or they just it was just a house show deal or what? Yeah, it's just a house show deal, just like the Royal Rumble was just a house show okay. deal for the first place as well, right? Yeah, just something for, for you know, local fans to... Okay, to, you know, so take. there was no... They weren't just testing the waters or anything like that. There's no real reason. They just did it. Yeah, same reason that the Duke on his Duke ship off uh, off camera and then was just on there. Everybody was so confused. It's just like, well, when did Pete Doherty get, like, a, get a title? I am unpredictable. I'm, I'm just as unpredictable as Johnny Ross. Wait a second. You're telling me the crappy Duke actually earned that title? I thought he just said he was the Duke <laughs> yes, this whole I. time. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just assuming. I mean, like, you know... <laughs> I thought you were going to tell us there's some, like, somebody he beat for the dukedom. <laughs> well, did Duke Drozzy beat him for it? <laughs> you mean the dumpster, right? Yes, the Duke of Dumpsters. A lot of royalty going around in this show. Oh, yeah, definitely. So as we, as we move towards a 93 pay-per-view, then, I guess I'll set the stage for you folks. Basically, what we're coming off of is... WrestleMania 9, everyone's favorite pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wonderful. <laughs> wonderful, fantastic pay-per-view. And, of course, the, the big surprise ending there is that Bret Hart dropped the title to Yoko due to some salt. Ceremonial salt. <laughs> Ceremonial salt. He literally threw salt in the wound. I mean, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> he did. And uh, Hogan, of course, ran in. Bret Hart told him, go get him. <laughs> I hate that so much. You don't even understand. Fuji called Hogan a yellow belly. Yes. Notably. Come on! Come on, you yellow belly! Come on! But he is yellow belly. He is. Look That's at the his whole belly. Thing. He's, he's, his whole thing is yellow. Literally has a yellow shirt. He literally was wearing yellow. The Fuji wasn't being inaccurate. Fuji is shrewder than most people give him credit for yep i will i will say no doubt that about it <laughs> but anyway uh hogan winds up winning the title to go off the air for wrestlemania 9 that's right on his first you know televised match back earlier that day was a, that horrible tag team match with beefcake <laughs> against money inc all of a sudden hulk hogan's the world champion so as scott alluded to let's cash in on hogan right mm. so the king of the rings main event technically besides the tournament final was a world championship match with the defending champion Hulk Hogan defending against Yokozuna. Now, if I'm not mistaken, gentlemen, Hogan hadn't defended the title at all since WrestleMania. Not in North America. I want to say he did some shots in Europe. Okay. Really? The house shows? Yeah. I'm actually, I'm not quite there into the observers yet, but I, I don't know. If, I think somebody had Ted mentioned that to me. That makes sense. I, Cause I don't even, he was almost absent from TV except for a promo here and there. What are you going to do with Yokozuna's big, nasty stinky wart infested carcass after i press him over my head yeah well the thing was he was he, he really had more interest in going to uh to new japan at that point rather than wwf which is where it led to the infamous uh infamous press conference he did where he, he basically said that the iwgp title was more important than the wwf title the iwgp belt is the most important belt in the world today and of course vince mcmahon really appreciated that so Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so <laughs> gotta love Hogan. Gotta love 93 Hogan, too. One of the worst. It's the worst incarnation of Hulk Hogan. Like, his, like, face morphs and, like, he's, like, <laughs> thumbs up everything. I, I hate that he's version. He's an asshole. And by the time we get to that WCW, like, in Disney World thing or whatever, ugh. Horrible. He's insufferable. It's your time, Yokozuno, to feel the strongest power on the face of the earth. From Hogan's point of view, I mean, like, Inoki wanted to give him, like, an ungodly amount of money to to, to work that year, right? Like, they were, like, yeah. the, the numbers that were being thrown around were, you know, like, 
almost a million dollars to work whatever it was five or six dates right he would supposedly mm-hmm. come in and do a couple of tokyo dome shows and boost the numbers there and make his money and get out so i mean you know it's and vince wanted him to come back and work a full-time schedule almost so i huh. mean from his his point of view right like you know why you know why why would he not go to japan and take that money what was vince thinking off like saying oh come work you know 300 days a year that's insane like <laughs> he never did that normally yeah he didn't yeah, do that you generally in the first place so why did he yeah. think yeah that's vince so was, stupid how show business was just in the toilet in yeah. at that time right vince was just looking for anything to, to turn things around at that point uh it, it really it really did come from desperation so aside from the yoko hogan match which i do want to talk about shortly the pay-per-view was built around the tournament and the main star of the tournament both in kayfabe and in terms of work rate and in the matches mm-hmm. that i put on was bret hart who many people i think felt was kind of getting a little bit of the screw, so to speak. Scott, what do you know about Bret Hart, and and was this tournament designed to appease him? Is is that true? Oh yeah, definitely. Truth, you know, we'll never know one hundred percent the truth, but I mean, yeah, I mean, really, you know, you know, obviously, Bret claims that he was promised the world title match with Hulk Hogan, and I'm sure he believes that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Obviously, it didn't happen, but he was told. He also believes that they didn't decide on switching the title to Hogan at WrestleMania until the day before. Which mm-hmm. I, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I do believe that they didn't tell him until the day before, but I feel like Vince kind of knew as soon as Hogan came back that yeah, we're gonna we're gonna put the screws to Brett and make it off. But I mean, like if you're if you're reading the like reading the observers leading up to it, Dave is pretty sure that you know Yoko is going to be the big challenger, mm-hmm. and you know Yoko is going to going to be be against Bret Hart at the house shows, you know, leading up to WrestleMania and afterwards, and be one of the big faces of it, but. He never, there's never really any, uh, solid hints that Yoko was actually getting the title there. So, I mean, I do think that it was a fairly recent thing before WrestleMania that they made that decision and made the switch there. So, yeah, it's, it's, I, I do think it was Vince's, def, definitely Vince's way of kind of trying to make it up to Britain, keeping him strong as well. Because the thing is, Hogan obviously wasn't going on tour as the champion. So they still needed somebody, uh, like Brett to act as a headliner on the, the host right. shows, right? So it kind of makes sense that they would do that too. Scott, is there any truth to the fact I, I I don't know where I've heard this before, but was Brett's performance and response at the King of the Ring? Do you believe that that led to them, you know, kind of starting to decide that Brett was the guy that they really should have picked all along? I don't think they really knew that until '94, to be honest. Okay, I'd always thought that the King of the Ring was the ball started rolling after that, like for him. Obviously, it was a very impressive performance, and and, and they knew that. But I mean, really, Vince's whole thing was 100% focused on getting Hogan or getting somebody who looked vaguely like Hogan with <laughs> similar colored hair. You know, like that's yeah. that's the whole thing. Like he wasn't like Bret Hart as the top guy was really not in his plans anymore after WrestleMania. Like he was like just legit all about the Hulk. And it's a shame, too, because, folks, if you haven't seen King of the Ring 93, in my opinion, it's a it's a weird pay-per-view, but Bret Hart is worth watching on that. In all three matches, he has a great opener against Razor Ramon, Mm -hmm. an all-time great match against Kurt Hennig that a lot of people, including myself, feel is better than their SummerSlam 91 match, and then a really good, solid match with Bam Bam Bigelow in the finals. I thought Bam Bam was actually pretty impressive overall at that pay-per-view. He squashed Duggan. Yeah, I actually was digging Bam Bam at that pay-per-view. Scott, what are your overall thoughts on that pay-per-view? Yeah, overall, I mean, I like the tournament. Uh, I definitely like the Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect match. I would I would definitely agree it's better than their initial SummerSlam one, if only yeah. because Perfect's back was just so messed up at that show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He could finally, you know, cut loose and, and do his thing again. 
I mean, it's it's for me, it's such a forgettable show, though. True. You know, I mean, overall, I mean, you know, I remember the tournament and I remember Hulk getting squashed, but I couldn't, I honestly couldn't tell you anything else on the show. <laughs> I remember, yeah. even, even even like the tournament itself, right? You're, you know, when, I, I can't even remember Bigelow's run to the finals either, personally, but. Uh, it, I think, it, I think it was Duggan and I think he got a bye because Luger and Tatanka went to a time limit draw. Yeah, but he showed up mm-hmm. in that last match, definitely. Yeah, I remember well that. With Brett. I, yeah, he worked well with Brett. Yeah, he, he Bigelow also had he had a really good match with Brett on uh, one of Brett's DVD sets. It was I believe it was from Spain. Yep, Barcelona. Yeah, Barcelona. Yeah, and uh, so I mean, they, yeah, Brett Bigelow had some really good chemistry together. Absolutely, like you know, Brett knew how to do that. You know, the the big man, small man stuff really effectively yep. building sympathy for himself. You know, so yeah, he's good matchup. And Bigelow is in general just very underrated in my opinion. I overall, think so. yeah, good overall, worker. Yeah, so yep good chemistry combo there yep and um the most notable thing for me besides you know brett's my all-time favorite and it's great to watch him win three matches but the most notable <laughs> one of my favorite just gleefully favorite <laughs> moments for king of the 93 scott mentioned it is hogan got squashed by yoko and i love it because from start to freaking finish in that match hogan gets dominated he doesn't get to slam him he looks like an old washed up idiot <laughs> against Yoko and the finish notwithstanding with the fireball right. camera guy. Well, that's what I was going to say, Joe, is that I, I feel they still protected Hogan with the fireball camera thing with, what was that, Harvey Whippleman in the, in the beard or <laughs> yeah, whatever? I believe that's so. terrible get up. I think Scott can confirm it was Harvey. Yeah, it was Harvey. It's uh, The weird thing with that match too is that like yeah, Hogan got, got beat pretty solidly, but in Hogan's, like this is one of the few times that Hogan kind of got outsmarted too, right? Because in Hogan's mind he was doing the job because he was thinking he was going to get a rematch with Yokozuna and win the title back, right? And yep. business, and it just it didn't turn out that way. And you know, <laughs> and you know, he spent years then trying to get Yoko into WCW so he could get that. Uh, Did he really? Was he that petty about it? Yeah, I know he he like there was there were stories about it all the time where he was he, he kept trying to get Yoko to come in and he just Jeez. you know couldn't. Couldn't make it happen, right? But uh, but yeah, like that's that's the thing that Hogan did that job because he expected that you know he would. I'm, I'm assuming he thought in his mind it'd be like SummerSlam or whatever, where he would get the title back and he just kind of uh, outworked himself. I guess is is the thing. He tried, he, he you know did the power play with Vince and then ended up going to Japan instead. And that was it. Yeah, that was it. Yep. That went into the history books as Hulk Hogan's last televised WWF appearance. I believe he lingered around on some tours until uh, about early August, and that was it for him. So well, until 2002, yeah, yeah, until until his second run. But yeah. That was the end of the Hulkamania era, and it was uh, very fun to watch, and I remember Bobby Heenan just selling it so awesomely, just in all his glory about Hulkamania is dead and all that. Yokozuna has squashed Hulkamania! Hulkamania is dead! Well, it's Bobby's finest hour. It's got to be, right? (laughs) I mean, Part, Part of me kind of regrets that Bobby didn't get to be the manager who finally got to, you know, defeat Hulkamania. It's just... I mean, it's Fuji Andre, people. I guess, but yeah, it's Fuji. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Fuji. Yeah, that would have been a great cap, a good, a good bookend on the whole Hogan era, right? As if Bobby was the one yeah. that finally got rid of him. But Fuji's devious. It kind of makes sense yeah. that he would slip in there too, <laughs> you know. So, one of the things that happened, of course, um, to advance some storylines, is after Bret Hart's um, victory, he was being coronated in a ridiculous. <laughs> A ridiculous crown that they never used again. And of course, uh, I mean, there's a long line of these dumb crowns, yes. too. We'll get to those. We will. Uh, Jerry Lawler attacks him, of course, because Jerry Lawler was the real king of wrestling. And this led to one of my favorite angles of 93, a bright spot in a pile of shit that was 1993. <laughs> and um, Scott, I want to get your thoughts briefly on it because it does tie into the king of the ring. What yep. did you think of that whole Lawler Bret Hart angle from SummerSlam? For, for those who don't know, there is actually a whole story with the Jerry Lawler 
thing as well because there was actually that was actually kind of based on a shoot. Okay. There was a legit lawsuit in the eighties because Carlos was the king, right? And so they, yeah. they came to do these house shows in Memphis and Jerry Lawler quite rightly felt that WWF was ripping off his King of Wrestling gimmick because he actually had trademarked it. So in fact they, they got a fed, they got a court order from a Memphis judge that said that they could no longer they could not bill Harley Race as the king anytime they were in Memphis. Uh, and it, so, so Vince actually lost that in court. So anywhere in the state of, actually, I think it was anywhere in the state of Tennessee, uh, if they promoted a show, his Harley race was not allowed to be billed as the king or advertised as the king. And that was actually wow. a huge source, source fought with them for many years. Like they wouldn't, you know, Jim Vince wouldn't do business with Jerry Lawler because he beat them in court. And Lawler would go on all these radio shows, basically busting on them saying like, you know, I'll, you know, I'll die before I ever go to the WWF. And then lo and behold, <laughs> at the end of 1992, you know, the, the company's company's going down. So he, he appears on TV. And then the first thing he says is, Oh, I'm never going on the road and doing a full time schedule. I'm just going to come in as an announcer and I won't be a wrestler. And then lo and behold, <laughs> six months later, he's on the road every night with Bret Hart, right? So. <laughs> so that's how wrestling works out sometimes, I guess. But yeah, that's that SummerSlam match. I thought was it was you know it was a fantastic piece of business overall. The multiple angles and kind of like the Russo like rebooking on the fly with beating Doink the Clown and uh, and the what is it like the busload of orphans or nuns or, or whatever. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just classic Jerry Lawler. Twenty car pile up, you know the whole story. Up, yeah, yeah. And of course you can see it coming from a mile away. But I mean they they worked it so well. And you know Bret Hart obviously you know he loved working with Jerry Lawler. All yeah. the time, right? He, he considered it, you know, it's just such an, such an easy night off for him. Just go and do those, do those matches with Lawler. And, and it's just kind of a fun thing for him. So you could tell that, that Brett was really enjoying himself. And it was, it was something, you know, for, for Brett to really sink his teeth into as yep. well, which is kind of nice. He'd be kind of floating around and here's something where, you know, he's got something where he has, it's a personal grudge that he has with Lawler. And, you know, there's somebody with lots of heat and, and he can go out there and, you know, beat on him every night and, uh, not have to worry about it. So yeah, no, it was, it was, it was a really great piece of business. Overall, I thought for Brett, even though it seemed like, you know, slightly, a slight demotion for him, but really that, that was the story of his life for the next few years anyway. It was, you know. Yeah, true. Plus, it's always good to see Bruce Hart get water dumped on him. <laughs> yeah, that too. Exactly. Uh, so, 93, solid but forgettable, I'd say, is a, is a good way to sum it up. We move on to 1994, and what's going on around this time, as as we all well know, is Owen Hart has now beaten Brett at WrestleMania 10. Yes, he has. Also at WrestleMania 10, though, Brett, of course, won the world title. Yes, he did. And that was a bit of uh, poetic justice, I would say, from the year before. Very much so. I, I, I love, I mean, who doesn't love that? I love it. It's a great thing. Brett winning the title back at WrestleMania 10 from Yoko. Finally, you know, yes. just bookending that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Getting carried on the shoulders of a few guys. Everyone's celebrating. And Owen's the one that beat him that night. <laughs> and Owen <had laughs> And he's sitting him. out there like a goon at the end. Right. So we move to this 94 tournament where Owen Hart is now the star of the show as far as the tournament is concerned. All right. I am sure that you remember last year's tournament where your brother, the hitman, Bret Hart, was crowned the king of the ring. Big deal. So what? He was king of the ring last year. That was last year. This is this year. But going on in the background is a few things. Number one, we got a world title match. Bret Hart against Diesel. Diesel was the Intercontinental Champion. That is one of those matches that I feel like you need to watch maybe three times to really get the full effect of just how good it was. Scott, what are your thoughts on that match? Oh, yeah, that one way over-delivered. Uh, but, I mean, it, in 94, up until he won the title and, you know, went off a cliff as far as being a worker. I mean, I was I was on board the Diesel train. I was all for it. He was, a, it's, you know, he's a cool character. I was, I was buying into it, you know. He was, he was a good talker. It was a fun thing. Shawn Michaels was running around and mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You know, acting like his manager and stuff. No, it was, it was all, that was good stuff. And, and again, you know, Bret Hart knows how to have that kind of match with somebody like with Kevin Nash, right? You know, yep. he goes out there, he plays, you know, the sympathetic baby face who gets beat up by the big heel. and uh, That's what Brett was always good at. He could work with a big guy, small guy, mm-hmm. you know, fat, any guy. T- fat guy, any yep. type of wrestler. Yeah, that was his specialty. Almost like he was the best or something. I don't know. Yeah, or the best there is or the best maybe there is. was. Yeah. All right, exactly. Maybe even will be. Um, Quinn, I, I know that you, you you always forget this match. It was the last match of the show, Quinn. And uh, you, oh, you right. struggle to remember it, and <laughs> I don't blame you. Isn't it It's something with Piper or Against. something? Oh, <laughs> uh, God, who is you it? You can do it, Quinn. I forget every time. Like, you tell me that you've told me this like four or five times because I like rare. I've Every time this pay-per-view, I just think of Art Donovan. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to him. Yeah. But the last match on King of the Ring 94... Roddy Piper against King. Right, that's it. What the hell, Scott? New hell generation right what, there. <laughs> yeah, the new generation. What, why? Why did they do this? Yeah, it is what it is, you know? <laughs> yeah. We are now just two weeks away from the eagerly awaited King of the Ring and the much-heralded collision between the proud, regal Jerry Lawler going against the pugilistic peasant from Bonnie, Scotland, Rowdy Roddy Piper. I would not have put it in the main event slot myself, but I mean, like, no. you know. <laughs> awful. But I mean, look, like, like, you know, look, look, WCW drew a number with him, you know, a couple of years later. So it's, you know, it's, it's hard to fault him, I guess. I mean, it's Roddy Piper. Piper's always a draw, if you ask me. I mm. mean, I always like Piper. I, I know, Joe, are you, what are you, what are your thoughts on Piper? I, really? I like him. Yeah. yeah I, do I, like I don't him. have a problem with him. No, I like him. Yeah. But uh, against King. Yeah, with King, that makes no sense. In June of 94. Yeah, it's yeah. a little late. And the match is awful. Mm. Notable at King of the Ring '94, Quinn, you mentioned it, is Art Donovan. Quinn, give me give me your thoughts on Art Donovan, and then we'll see what Scott thinks. <laughs> I mean, quite simply, the worst commentator slash guest commentator ever. Gorilla is he dead? Oh, definitely not. And for the record, Art, I mean, yeah, it's unbelievable. Art Donovan was a football player on the Baltimore Colts. So yes. that's quite a long time back in the 50s um, and was clearly out of his element. Yes. Announcing wrestling. Matches. The only thing he wanted to know was how much somebody weighed. Oh, how much does that guy weigh? I mean, he asked it so many times. Well, how much does this guy weigh? At least maybe a, ma- a time or two per match. Yes. At least. How much does this fellow weigh? And the other thing that always stands out to me is that there's a certain point in that show where Gorilla starts ignoring him. And then he's like, Randy, Randy. Hey, Randy. Yeah. Hey, Randy. Hey, Randy. Yeah. Randy. And he keeps like, calling him Randy. It's funny. Yeah. Just Randy. Scott, your recollections of, uh, <laughs> of Art Donovan? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, I, I had no idea who he was either. I, I, I had assumed he was some sort of football legend, I guess. But, you know, I don't watch football, so it didn't really mean anything to me. And, uh, yeah, he's he was very focused on how much guys weighed. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, let me tell you, it takes a lot to annoy Gorilla Monsoon because, like, yes. Gorilla has called matches, you know, with, like, Lord Alfred Hayes. <laughs> Duke Doherty. Duke Doherty. Yeah. And, and Mike McGurk, you know, and just, yeah. like. It takes a lot to push him over the edge, and yeah, Art Donovan did it. Gorilla, is the Parker getting any uh, any air at all? Uh, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah, Gorilla just shut him out for I, the second half of the I've show. I've never seen him react that way to a person. And I mean, Art Donovan's concern about fairness with the weights is like just, it's <laughs> unbelievable, really. He like, it's so bent out of shape when he finds out Mabel is like 500 and IRS is 250. Oh, how much does that guy weigh? 500 pounds plus, Art. 
Oh, that's not fair. The only guy, the only fellow only weighs half the amount. Oh, it's oh, not fair, our Donovan. Yeah, and, and also, it is funny, though, that uh, doesn't he, like, predict, like, Razor or something's going to win the tournament? I'm sure they told him to say that. We're going to have a new king crown here tonight, on Who do you think that's going to be? Razor Ramon. Oh, you know, okay, I don't know. It seemed genuine to me for no, some reason. because he, he doesn't even know who that is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> See, the thing I always found funny is the show was in Baltimore, Maryland, and Art Donovan played for the Baltimore Colts. Correct. The, the reason that doesn't make sense to me is because wouldn't anyone from Baltimore be at the show? So, yeah. like, the rest of the national audience is like, who the hell is this guy and why do I care? Well, yeah, exactly. That's that was the same problem Lawrence Taylor at WrestleMania 11, right? Like it's, mm, yeah, it was just, yeah. you know, for the New York market, right? It's the same thing, right? You know, let's, let's yep. they're always talking about how, oh yeah, that's why people get beat in their hometown all the time because, you know, they, they're a national <laughs> right. show. And Very good point. Yeah, but yeah. Mark Donovan, I, I feel like he wasn't even relevant in 1994. Like it's he, not, he wasn't like to this day, nobody really talks about Art Donovan in the NFL. It's, he's not like that. That's like a really long time ago. It's like the, 50s. Beginning of the NFL, like the yeah, 50s. Like, it was. Yeah. You know, another notable thing about King of the Ring 94, I just want to make mention of, it's actually the last pay-per-view mm-hmm. where Gorilla Monsoon does play-by-play. He's at Survivor Series as Vince's color guy. Yeah. It's Gorilla's last pay-per-view as the play-by-play guy. And I would assume, judging by the timeline, maybe you'll know, Scott, Vince was probably busy being indicted around that time. Steroid trials. Yeah, they're around there. He was that was around the time where he thought he was going to jail and Jerry Jarrett would be running things. Yeah. Jerry mm-hmm. Jarrett. Yeah, Jerry Jarrett was supposed to be the one who was if Vince went to jail. Okay, I guess you know if you haven't heard, yeah. Uh if Vince went to jail, Jerry Jarrett was gonna be the one who would come in and run the WWF. You're telling me if Jarrett was gonna shoehorn in there somehow. <laughs> yes. Whenever something can't be run, there's a Jarrett. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. It's unbelievable. Yeah. You no, know, that was that was Vince's plan. If Vince, if, like he was going to, he was going to direct the WWF from jail, and Jerry Jarrett was going to be the guy who would be who would run the day to day operations. Wait, I don't know wait, if it was wait, some wait, kind wait. of weird con that he was running, but like, yeah, that was that was the official plan. Why not Pat Patterson? That's a good question. I don't know. Maybe because Pat was too culpable and everything, and he thought that Pat would also get. Mm. I've got a more important question. How yes. did he imagine he would direct? the company from jail. <laughs> like, okay. You know, like I, if you watch daredevil, right. Kingpin directs things from jail, right. It's in the second mm. season. So, you know, maybe it's the same so. thing. Vince thinks of himself as like, you know, he thought of himself. He was going to be like a, you know, like a mafia crime mm. boss or something like that, you know, like <laughs> making, making tomato sauce and the clink and like, you know, yeah. putting, putting calls and uh, yeah. Too I many mean, onions in the sauce. Yeah, Too like many onions in the sauce. Yeah. That's right. But you gotta make, <laughs> yeah. you gotta slice the meat real thin, you know, like, <laughs> well, that was uh that took a turn there, but <laughs> as as far as the um now I'm just picturing Vince and Goodfellas. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be the Vince bio movie. He's just gonna like take a script for Goodfellas and like write himself in. I'm gonna pick up the papers, pick up the papers, pal. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for that, by the way. Oh yeah, it'll be fun. Um what were you I saying? have when- one thing to say about that pay-per-view. I think we'd be remiss not to mention the great Owen Hart one, two, three kid match, I believe. It I was, was just gonna say that. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, that was like that was like the greatest five minute match in wrestling history. I think, like, seriously, yes, it's fantastic, fantastic. Like, they just went out there and they just like let all that shit hang out in five minutes. You know, it's just that was that was the craziest thing I'd ever seen in nineteen ninety four. It's funny you say it's five minutes, and I like I said I don't watch that pay per view all the time, but like Why I re- feel like I remember being like 
that match felt longer than five minutes. It and does. that's probably a compliment to like what they did out there. Exactly. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's like and, and I, I might even been shorter than that, but I mean like I think I think Dave even gave it four stars because and you know yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, it was wonderful. It's like they, you know, it was basically it was like, well, it was only five minutes long, but they did everything that you could possibly want them to do in five minutes, essentially. But yeah, absolutely, it's, absolutely, a must see match to it. It's like it, it's it's a lesson as well in how to get yourself over in that short of a period time period, mm-hmm. especially nowadays when you know everybody goes out and has three minute TV matches and <laughs> and, and then a distraction roll up, you know. Yeah, if those guys can do that in five minutes, these guys should be able to do that on Raw. They should be able to. Yeah, yeah. theoretically. Uh, the, the thing about the, the 94 pay-per-view is, like I mentioned, it was the Owen Hart show. And Owen did a great job, I thought. He um, he had a good match against Tatanka. Not a great match because it's Tatanka, but it was passable. <laughs> it was serviceable. And then, of course, the 1-2-3 kid match and then a decent match in the finals against Razor. But the whole storyline was just cool because it was like, all right. Owen Hart now is going to take the same path Brett took. You know, he's mm-hmm. he beat Brett already. Yep. Brett's now yep. the world champion. So let's let's have him win the King of the Ring. And then of course the twist came in the Brett Hart Diesel match where Brett brings out good old Jim Neidhart. Hmm. Neidhart winds up turning yep. heel and helping Owen win the King of the Ring. And that led, of course, to the rest of the summer of 94 with the Hearts feuding. Scott, I just want to get your thoughts since it happened at this pay-per-view. What did you think of the whole, the Brett Owen angle, but also the addition of Jim Neidhart? For me personally, the SummerSlam 94 angle and the cage match and what followed after it, you know, the beatdown with the Hart family, that's one of my favorite things I've ever seen them do in that time period. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Brett, you know, he, he wanted to do everything in his power to get his brother over as a superstar. And it's a, you know, you know, that's why they brought in Jim Neidhart as well, right? You know, surround him with people who are going to be motivated to, to help him out and, and take him to the next level. And I mean, mm-hmm. they really tried, but I mean, the problem was, of course, they just didn't want to pull the trigger on, on Owen because the whole thing was Owen gets the win at WrestleMania and then loses every other match yeah. that, that follows there against Brett. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of, uh, <laughs> it's kind of disappointing in that sense because, I mean, even, even by the time you got to SummerSlam, it was clear that Owen was just a second tier guy and he was net had pretty much no chance of, uh, of winning the cage match. But, uh, you know, it was, it was a fun feud overall. And, you know, again, it's, it's always good to see when they find something to, for Brett to be motivated and, uh, and take part in this. Yeah, it was good stuff. Uh, overall, the, that pay per view is very forgettable. I'd say it's not as good as 93. I mean, it's forgettable and memorable because of Art Donovan and the one, two, three kid match. I <laughs> that's mean, true. It like, has that. It, it, it's not the worst King of the Ring because that's about to come up. You know what? And I would say that's a good time to take a quick break here. When we come back, folks, we'll talk about with one and only Scott Keith, one of the worst, not only King of the Ring pay-per-views, but maybe one of the worst WWF pay-per-views from the 80s and 90s, that being King of the Ring 95. So we'll be back right after this. Rain or shine, this Monday night, July 8th, Sullivan Stadium in Foxborough. All of the action getting underway at 7.30 p.m. Good seats are still on sale at all Ticketron locations in the area. A big night. It's going to be a one-night elimination tournament to determine who is the king of the ring. There will be a beautiful trophy awarded to the winner. Among the entrants in this prestigious tournament, you will see the Junkyard Dog, Tito Santana, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, B. Ryan Blair, Pedro Morales, Superfly Snooker, Ricky Steamboat, the Magnificent Morocco, the Iron Sheik, Cowboy Bob Orton, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Brutus Beefcake, Terry Funk, the Spoiler, 
And in addition, for the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship, Hulk Hogan will defend his belt against Nikolai Volkov. It is a night of wrestling action that you certainly don't want to miss. This Monday night, the WWF in Foxborough at Sullivan Stadium. Hey, it's Sean Mooney. I may no longer be in the event center, but if I was, I'd be talking about our Vantage Point Retro Wrestling Podcast. All right, boys, let's get to it. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to this very royal episode <laughs> of our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. We're, of course, we're of course talking to Scott Keith from the blog of Doom.com. Scott, we appreciate you coming on. Not a problem. And Quinn. Why don't you lead us through a little bit of uh, of your reflections <laughs> of what many people consider to be one of the worst WWF pay-per-views, that being King of the Ring 95. Wait, wait, wait. There was, there was, there was a King of the Ring in 95? No, come on. <laughs> Yo, you're wrong, right? They just skipped you. They went to 96. Uh, I don't remember 95. <laughs> well, I probably thought the same thing because back then, I recall... My parents would not allow me to watch the King of the Ring 1995 because they were like, what, another pay-per-view? And I was just starting to get into wrestling then. That's good parenting. Yeah. And so um, I remember, you know, reading the magazine and getting hyped up about the King of the Ring, right? Still, like, as a kid, you know, you you still care. Sure. And so I was like, oh, Shawn Michaels is going to be in it. So, you know, he's my favorite. Of course he's got to win. And then I get to Raw the next day and Mabel? What? So I would like you boys to. I've I've only generally looked at this pay per view. I haven't gone back fully. This is like one of the King of the Rings where I'm just like I don't even want to watch that every time I see it. So guys, take me through what the hell happened here. What the hell happened? Okay. Um, well, primarily it was supposed to be Razor Ramon having three matches on the show, but not Savio Vega. <laughs> it's kind of the first problem that kind of cropped up. But yeah, he was injured. So they were like, well, this guy is also supposed to be from a place that speaks Spanish. So we'll put him <laughs> in the show and people won't notice the difference. And everybody wants Sean to win, but he, we don't really want him to win. So we're going to eliminate him in the first round on a bullshit screw job. And people will be so mad about that. That there'll be no heat on John for losing, and then they'll just forget about him. They'll cheer Savio. That drove me nuts, by the way, because if I recall, he fought Kama into a draw. Yes, yes. to a and draw. That, yes, that drove me nuts because I thought he had an easy path. Like when I'm, I literally I'm reading WWF magazine. I'm like, oh, Sean's got Kama on the first round. Like, he's he's gonna just breeze right through this thing. <laughs> I honestly don't know why they even bothered to have him in the tournament if he wasn't going to win. Like, because yeah. that destroy is completely counterproductive, right? Like, you know, just, just find totally. something else to do with, you know, like, put him in a ladder match with Razor Ramon or something. That's always a good way to... Something. Seriously. Something, you know? <laughs> and, and not only is Sean eliminated by way of that draw, The Undertaker, the Undertaker. who n- never jobbed back then, loses to Mabel. <sighs> well, that was understandable, at least because, you know, they're, whatever reason, they decided they wanted to go for it with Mabel. So they put him over Undertaker, which is like, that's great, but why not do that in the finals? Then isn't that where you want to do that? Then to put him over yeah. strong is like I I never got the Mabel thing. I mean, I felt like they weren't building him up on the programming as much as I like. If I'm putting myself in there as a kid and remembering, it's like I didn't really think he was even um, remotely well being built. If like, you if you look back throughout '94 
into 95, you can see that Vince always had a thing for Mabel. Well, we've seen yeah. that, yes. There was a random pay-per-view match with uh, Mabel and Jeff Jarrett. On yes. One show, example, where it's like, well, Mabel is suddenly a single star now. And that probably should have been the warning signs, you know, like cry for help. When you call for an intervention, but uh, I guess we didn't see it in time and oh. ended up with, with Mabel. When you've got stuff, th- this pay-per-view, by the way, folks, took place in Philly, um, which is obviously the the home place of ECW at the time. That too. Yeah, that. <laughs> when you've got shit like Bob Holly versus the roadie. Now, in 99, <laughs> Hardcore Holly versus the road dog that's a passable fun hardcore match in 1995 it's jeff jarrett's lackey versus a race car driver that like never won and that's one of your king of the ring matches it was just what were they thinking in front of hawaiian shirt guy and all that stuff you know if i recall is this the pay-per-view no this isn't it yet right when the ecw guys were in the crowd no that was later okay Yeah, yeah that was later but i believe scott correct me if i'm wrong at some point in the show, maybe several, there is a very vocal ECW chant. Look at this, driving. It's 568 pounds. Listen to this. Here we go, Mabel, charging the money down. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the crowd, yeah, they, they basically shit on the show and, and started chanting for ECW, and it made Vince very, very angry backstage when he heard it. Well, that's, that's what kind of led to the, uh, the stuff later on. With yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of he wanted to wanted it's like he thought he was going to bring him out and get his revenge because you know they it was small time and stuff and you know, yeah, it was just uh, so it's so misguided. Now I've actually heard Vince claim that um, this was when he first found out what ECW was. He's like, "What's that?" It surprised me the least. Yeah. Now let's let's not forget, folks, that also at this lovely pay per view, <laughs> besides this horrid tournament, which Mabel wound up winning. Not only that, we had a fantastic angle of Bret Hart versus Jerry Lawler in a kiss my foot match. And it reminds me that you're going to have to fall down on your hands and knees after I beat you at King of the Ring. You're going to have to kiss my royal feet. Yeah. Yeah. The stuff I (laughs) I was saying earlier about the nice stuff about the feud like that. This is two years later. (laughs) Exactly. uh, It's. It's 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 still going, and uh, yeah, I take it back. You know, like <laughs> I will say this: I do recall like loving the build of that with Jerry Lawler, like the the the, the little details of him like not cleaning his feet for right. like months or whatever before that, and yeah. putting the like fake like it looked like he had like fungus or something in his toes or whatever. Yeah. I haven't washed my feet in over two weeks, and I don't plan on washing them until after the King of the Ring tournament. Now, you recall loving this as a nine-year-old at the time, you mean? Well, I look back at it as just something where, because nowadays they probably wouldn't do that kind of detail. They probably would, like, just not care and build it up in, like, a week. Like, exactly. You know what I mean? That's yeah. as Lawler cares, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Lawler cared. And, you know, God bless Brett. Give him credit. He sold that. He treated it like it was the most important thing in the world for Lawler to have to kiss his foot, you know? But not only that, there was... A horrible main event outside of the tournament. Yes. This was someone's horrible idea of a tag team match. Yeah. Diesel teaming up with Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh, yes. To take on Tatanka 
Yes. And Sid. Now, this was Flame Bam Bam Bigelow with the flame jacket and the Triple B logo and all yeah, that. Yes. The, the yes. goofy music. Oh, God. Yes. I remember the that. Coming coming off losing to the football player. Right. right. Exactly. Why a tag team match of all things to make this worse? Oh, I don't know. It's just they were. I, I, I can't even remember what they were building to at that point. Like it was just it was just such a mess because they did the did Diesel against Sid in singles yeah. matches. Right. And then, yeah, and they still had, they had it in mind that the million dollar corporation was going to be this thing. It never was. They, yeah, it, it just never was. And it was mm-hmm. supposed to get Bigelow's heat back or something, or give him the rub by teaming him up with <laughs> Diesel, who didn't have any heat either. And it was just, oh, this, just so many misguided notions all colliding in in one thing, right? Like, yeah, I I never understood that one either. You guys describing this pay per view like it like it just sounds so like. This is 1995. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's like, yeah. It's yeah. so like everything doesn't make any sense. Tatanka's headlining a yeah. pay-per-view. Yeah. Okay, here's, the, here's the thing with me. Although here I will I will explain the mindset at least because there, okay. it is there is a certain amount of of logic to it because Diesel is supposed to be Hogan and Hogan drew money going up against big fat heels around the horn <laughs> for years and years. So this that's this is what they had. They had Mabel, who was a heel. He was, you know, he was a big fat guy. He went out there, did his stuff. People oohed and awed. And that was the idea is that you put him up against Diesel and Diesel triumphs and Diesel is the good guy and he wins, right? And that's that's what they're yeah. going for is, you know, it's a simple storyline that is relatively effective and worked in the past. And I yep. mean, SummerSlam did a pretty good number, so it's not like it was complete disaster or anything like that on that level. But I mean, it's just like, it's not 1985, you know, like yeah. mm-hmm. that was just the main thing with it. Like people wanted People wanted different stuff. They wanted Shawn Michaels and Razor in the ladder matches. Right, right. Yep. Guy, not Diesel against Mabel, basically. Unless you want to go with the theory that, you know, it's something for everybody, but I, I don't. Yeah, and that's the thing that breaks it, though. It's the people involved, if you really think about it. I mean, it, it nobody was really 100% behind Diesel. And Mabel was like, I, I, my recollection of it is like, what? Mabel? Like, yeah, Mabel. He's not a yeah. threat. You know, he's just some guy that beats up goons on superstars every week. His name is Mabel, you know? His name yeah. is Mabel. Yeah, exactly. His his tag team partner is the only guy to have a worse name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Mo, yes. Mo. Uh, and of course, he became King Mabel and Sir Mo. But, you know, that pay-per-view, deservedly so, has a bad reputation. It is the epitome of, I think, in a lot of ways... What was wrong with 1995? Oh, definitely. Because you have a heatless tag team match as the main event. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with a champion that, like you said, Quinn, not everyone is behind. Tatanka's main eventing mm-hmm. in 95. Yep. Tatanka should have never been main eventing. And if he should have, it should have been in 93. After that bomb of a Lex Luger feud, he should have never been involved yeah. in anything. It was so weird, too, because like the, that was supposed to be Tatanka's big thing to you know, turn him heel and make him a big star. And he just like lost all of his motivation. It's like, you think it should be the opposite, right? Like you think, mm-hmm. you think you would turn him heel and it would get him all fired up. And you could tell he didn't want to be a heel and he was never into it. Yeah. True, yeah. Just like, you know, he just stopped caring. And it's just such a, it was such a strange dichotomy. Like, I don't know. It was just, yeah. And the black hole that was 1995 seemed to sap Sid of all his charisma because any other year, Sid is, is charismatic, whether he's a heel or face. He's, yeah. You want to watch him. Yeah, he's interesting 92, at the very least. 92 WWF, 93 WCW, 96 and 97 WWF, but 95 Sid is horrible. <laughs> yeah. What he's, the hell happened just, to him? He's just like a lackey for the corporation. Like, he doesn't feel like he's that great or anything. No, not yeah. at all. So that 
pay-per-view don't watch it anyone just don't if you haven't seen it don't watch it it's not pleasant <laughs> it's not good there are side effects <laughs> just don't do it but the following year was an interesting one it has a lot of historical significance mm-hmm. does 1996 yes. Obviously, people remember the winner, Stone Cold Steve Austin. They remember the Austin 316 promo. That's where Austin 316 was born. Jake Roberts was, you know, in the finals against Austin and went down to him in defeat. Austin had the the bloodied, stitched lip. Yep, I believe he went to the hospital to get stitches on it in the middle of the show. Yep, but Scott, didn't that almost not come to be because was it supposed to be Triple H initially in that spot? Yeah, so that's, of course, a very famous story. He, he got pulled from the King of the Ring for his, uh, his shenanigans with the click, and uh, Steve Austin came in there instead and won it. Of course, by, you know, well, I don't want to provide any spoilers here, but by the next year, they, they reversed that and yep. gave Hunter his long-awaited kingship, but we'll get to that. But uh, <laughs> I, that, it, actually, the show actually kind of bugged me in, in a lot of ways, too, because they this was the, the first year where now they've started pairing the semifinals and finals, right? You know, yeah. so it's like, so that, that really kind of felt like he was starting to, already they were minimizing the show. You know, after King of the Ring 95, who could blame him, right? But, uh. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I would do that. But it's not, that's not even really a tournament. That's like two matches, you know, and, uh, Right. Yeah, because they did the, uh, the quarterfinals on Raw, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it wasn't, there wasn't really much to it there. And then because of the, they had the bracket set up when the Hunter thing went down, then, you know, it was, we were left with a weird path to the finals and Jake Roberts there and, and an inspirational mm-hmm. story that wasn't very inspirational. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, there's a lot of revisionism about it too, right? Because it's not like the way the WWF tells it is, you know, he comes, Austin wins the tournament. He does the, the Austin 316 promo and then all of a sudden he's world champion. And of course that was not, no, 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 not, not, not at all. Quick. Right. Yeah. It was the Bret Hart feud. It was the Bret Hart feud, exactly. It took another six months after that for Bret Hart to finally stand up and champion him and, and be like, hey, yeah. maybe this you should push this Steve Austin guy. You know, people might like him. I, I will say this. There is something to the fact that I, I, I don't know why it's like it's almost like an intangible thing. But the, the fact that he beat Jake in the manner that he did, it did really, in my mind, put him over. Because I remember watching that live and like Jake was... The way he was brought in and presented to us was that, you know, it's a legend and he's just going to beat everyone, you know, like, mm. but, and he just, 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 Austin just wrecks him, you know? Yeah. yeah in a couple of minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, like the bracketing was wacky because they changed their mind mid tournament, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, really, that's, that's what they were left with as well. It's, it's going to have to be Jake Robertson because we don't really have any kind of other alternative to switch things around. So it's kind of, the, kind of making the best of what they have essentially. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, he wrecked him. He wrecked him in the finals. Yeah. yeah. Although I do want to say that the Austin Merrill match was pretty fantastic for uh, for the the yeah. semifinal one. A very underappreciated classic, I think. Actually, that's the opener, if I'm not mistaken, and it's actually very good. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Now another thing at this pay per view, the Ultimate Warrior fought Jerry Lawler, making his you know third now King of the Ring appearance. Wow, I forgot about that. Holy oh yeah, crap. Yeah, that bastard wearing a baseball cap. How dare? <laughs> yeah, the oh, cap. Yeah, the baseball the cap. cap feud. Exactly. <laughs> Mm. That's the worst thing you could do in wrestling. He's wearing a baseball cap. What a jerk. He killed the whole angle with that baseball <laughs> cap. All. Yeah, it's our <laughs> millions of dollars down the toilet. <laughs> but also of significance is Mankind got his first win over The Undertaker on TV at that. In, yep. in a for, forgettable match, right? If I'm not mistaken, I don't remember much about it. Oh, it was a forgettable match, but it's like, you know, Undertaker didn't do jobs that often. So that was pretty uh, pretty amazing to have him go out. And, under, and Mankind pretty much beat him clean. 
I mean, not yep. super clean, but I mean, like, you know, he was, he went out and, and, and he beat him. And, uh, I was he a big, big shot in the arc for, for Mick. Yeah. It's interesting. You look at this pay-per-view and you see that not only was Austin put over, but mankind was put over. I mean, in a way, this pay-per-view is kind of sort of a turning point. I mean, you could look at it that way. That's two big names that would become, yeah. you know, a big part of this company. Yeah, well, you know who else went over and won the Intercontinental title, Quinn? The Intercontinental Come on, point? you could do it, you could do it. it Ahmed? Yeah. Uh, Ahmed? Man, that was the Ahmed <laughs> paper? Ahmed. I thought that was earlier. There goes your no. theory, Quinn. That was this one. No, man, I, that was that was great, too. You know, like the, and, the, and the thing I liked about it, was, it, it was, again, it was, it was very simply done and classically, and they, there was no bullshit involved, right? Like, you know, Goldust did the thing, or it was, you know, a tad, obviously, there was some homophobia involved, but, right. you know, he was, he was kissing him beforehand and, you know, building mm-hmm. it up, but then they paid it off right away. Almond went out and wrecked him and pinned him and won the title. It's just like, maybe, yeah. hey, that's, that's, that's the way to do it. You know, like you build yeah. up the heat and then blow it off. That yeah. is the way to do it. And actually, it's like, you know, we remember Ahmed as like kind of junky or whatever. Like, I don't think he was very good. This is a punk. That little ass body of yours. Get bottled here with the ass whipping. I'm going to get you in the ring. However, at the time, we couldn't have known that. Ahmed Johnson was, I guess the closest comparison I can think of would be uh, like like Simon Uha. Uh, basically, the way, you know, he was he was doing indies for that around like 94 in the sportatorium. Right. He was having these basically like these four-star matches with, uh, with JBL. <laughs> Are you serious? No, seriously. And like, yeah, yeah. It was like people in the tape trading community back then, like people were losing their minds over this stuff. Cause you get this big, big black guy, uh, who was like doing these, do, he was, he was doing like, uh, like, you know, Undertaker's hands-free dive over the top. Right. And he was True, doing this yeah. like, you know, week after week, right? And, and people were like, like, you know, holy shit, you gotta, you gotta get the tape of this guy, right? It, it was a big deal when he went to the WWF. People thought this guy was gonna be, you know, cash money for Vince. And I mean, Vince obviously thought that as well. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's pretty much a case he walks into the office and decides that, you know, he's gonna be world champion within a year or whatever. It didn't work right. that way. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, if you look at Ahmed Johnson, you know, you can see this guy that, but obviously yeah. Vince would you know like to be as as world champion, but he was he was really good from that point. And then unfortunately, turns out if you're 300 pounds, by whatever means he got to be 300 pounds with that muscular body, which I'm not you know, making any insinuations about, of course. No. <laughs> but I mean, as it turns out, that if you do those sorts of totally legal weightlifting things, then <laughs> your body breaks down really fast from doing all that kind of stuff. And that's what happened to him. Maybe it was uh, Icapro. Maybe it was yeah, Icapro. Possibly. Yes, possibly. Supplements. That's the key. Yeah, supplements. <laughs> With that Intercontinental title win, I really thought they were doing the going down the Ultimate Warrior path with him. So did I. Like, I that's think they really were. what I thought. I think like, they were. Yeah, oh, they so, were. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Win and the Intercontinental title and he'd be the world champ next did, year or something. They didn't count on Farouk breaking his kidney or whatever happened. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, And then another thing besides Austin's big win we had a pretty good match to cap off a pretty bad feud of Shawn Michaels versus British Bulldog. Scott, your thoughts on that one? Oh, that was a weird one, too. That was like, yeah, yeah the one where, where yeah, he's, uh, where Shawn Michaels is an adulterer and, like... Yeah, yeah, with Diana or whatever. With Diana, and, like, and then, of course, and, like, Diana then wanted no part of it, and they had to completely ditch the whole storyline because yep. feelings were hurt, and, yeah, and then and <laughs> they, they just kind of, like, dropped it one day basically and yeah yeah that was like the match was the match was pretty good when yep. sean wasn't total diva but i mean like it was uh <laughs> yeah. from a storyline perspective yeah not exactly a 
It's it's like this pay-per-view is essentially it's a turning point, but it's also still have a lot of that crappy 95 stuff going on, you know? Yeah. And the same like that, yeah. that mentality. Yeah, I really enjoyed the show overall. But I mean, there was a lot of crap that was going on. That was the way it took. A, it takes a long time for Vince to, to change his ways, basically. It's I guess the moral of the story. Like, right. it was really, you know, there was still a period where Nitro was, was was the newer thing and kind of destroying them. And Vince didn't really know how to deal with it yet. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of kind of finding his way. He was still he was still holding out hope that Shawn Michaels was going to save the company. So yeah, it was kind of strange directions that things were going in. But uh, overall, it's it's a very worthwhile pay per view, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's hard to save the company when you're the you, only one. You're the only one, basically <laughs> at the top. Yeah, you know? exactly. As we glide over to '97, we've got a situation here, like Scott uh, mentioned, where. Triple H still has to win the King of the Ring because God forbid, I mean, he's the King of Kings. Yeah, greatest <laughs> wrestler of all time, right? He's got to win the King yeah. of the Ring. So I guess he was off his punishment by now, and uh, they decide <laughs> that Triple H is going to win the King of the Ring in 97. Now, what I remember about this personally as a fan is I didn't care at all about it. <laughs> all I remember <laughs> is Steve Austin was going to fight Shawn Michaels, which was a good match, and there's a very weird Undertaker Farouk match Oof. for the world title. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. So it was actually it was it wasn't supposed to be Austin and and Sean originally. It was supposed to be uh, Bret Hart and Sean originally. And it was right. like Russo out the wazoo on that one. It was like what the hell was it? Um, it was supposed to be like the Hart Foundation was going to be handcuffed to the posts. And what? if Sean Sean if Bret Bret lost, he couldn't wrestle in the U.S. for the rest of the year or some crazy shit right. like that and they just like they stack stipulations on stipulations and then Bret Hart went and wrecked his knee in his little hair pulling match with Shawn Michaels and, yeah. and got injured and had to pull out of the match right so then yeah they are left with Shawn against Steve instead and honest to god I couldn't tell you any other match on that show that's like I vaguely recall yeah. Triple H beating Mankind wasn't there something with China also helping out in that, she that helped, tournament she helped yeah, Triple I remember H, that yeah. too this is another one of the pay-per-views where they did the quarterfinals on Raw so we weren't left with too much tournament yeah in fact yeah. Uh, Triple H beat Ahmed to open the show Mankind fought Jerry Lawler <sighs> Yeah, oh, that's yeah, how forgettable no. this is. The only other thing I remember about, I, I think it was Mick Foley said in his book, that basically he went out there with Hunter with no plan, and he got injured, and basically they just, they had to improvise the rest of the match. And, and, <laughs> couldn't, and it's just like, it was like a whole lot of chin locks, because like he couldn't remember, he didn't know what was going on and stuff, and it was just, that was that was a hellaciously boring match, right? It was. As far as I remember, Austin against Michaels was the only worthwhile thing on that whole show. No, you're right. And um, it did have the the Hart Foundation, meaning Owen, Bulldog, and Neidhart against Sid and the LOD. And that's an utterly forgettable six-man. Oh, actually, I think there was one great thing on there, if I'm not mistaken. What's that? I think that was the one with the backstage skit where Brian Pelham gets a swirly from Steve Austin, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, oh, you're right. Yeah. That's the one. And Stone Cold Steve Austin. Dillon's career flushing right before his very eyes. I'm not sure if that was also in the same show where where Owen and Bulldog are looking around backstage for Austin, and they that's can't find him. Time. And they, that's his time. Oh, okay. Yeah, if I recall, oh, right? I know the one you mean, though, where they, yeah. where they, they come out of the bathroom with the they pipe. Beat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They come out of the bathroom with the pipes, yeah. Yes, great stuff. <laughs> and they look at the camera like... They look at they, the camera they, like, they, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Scott, that, that's exact, that pay, all that crap oh, going on go. there is exactly why I disagree with you about In Your House It's Time. Why don't you two fight this one out for a second here? <laughs> it, it's just, I don't know, it's just such a stupid pay-per-view, but it's just funny because of, like, all that nonsense going on i I'm, I'm as much of a fan of shenanigans as anybody else it's just yeah. you know and the thing is though there's, if there's nothing to distinguish it on the pay-per-view then it's i don't find it 
super right. worthwhile to remember that because if it's something where I, where I can't remember it's associated with the show then why did you do it right like oh yeah i'm not arguing it's times memorable or anything i'm just all i'm saying is is that it's so silly that it's actually a fun watch see i figured i would have you guys talk this one out because i know it was on your mind quinn yeah to uh, defend this paper well, yeah i've been defending it's time on this podcast for a while <laughs> and just it's all shenanigans and fun and stupid uh, like it deserves yeah. it de- deserves a little props that's all a little all props. right well i just i just redid it recently and it was it was okay show so i'll, I'll give you that one it, it, it's got its charm yes sure speaking of charm yeah the only charming thing about king of the ring 97 is michael's austin if i'm not mistaken <laughs> hopefully someone remembers this is this the event where a special olympian falls over the guardrail and Shawn michaels has to help him and the only reason i'm saying that is because it's so awkward that yes. it happened i remember it you do yes i do remember that i don't know if it's this pay-per-view but i remember that happening i'm pretty sure it's this there's michael's over with the individual Uh-oh. and Austin is taking it to Michael Michael was helping that young man Michaels was helping that special Olympian and Stone Cold saw an opportunity to capitalize and they walk him like down the regular aisle to like, like Sean walks him down the aisle like he like the everything pauses because the special Olympian fell over Michaels is now helping that gentleman out. Look at this. If you're wondering how that little fella got inside the railing, I think he fell over the railing. Yes. Okay, that's that's <laughs> I all I wanted to I say. I remember that oddly enough. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's this pay-per-view. That's very much real. I just don't remember. If it was, I know it happened yeah. around this time. I think it's this. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not trying to be offensive, but it's just an awkward moment <laughs> it's weird yeah that's what it could have been a, a non-special olympian it could have been a regular olympian it and could have been just been anybody if they fell over the yeah. rail and like it's everything pauses it's so. just awkward yeah <laughs> and uh like i mentioned the undertaker faced farouk now so triple h is king of the ring who cared austin <laughs> is king of the ring Re- like but like really i feel like the only two people so far that really took the King of the Ring win and ran with it was the King of Hearts, Owen Hart. You know, he rubbed that in. And King Mabel really adopted the King gimmick. But you never heard another word about King Austin. No, I mean, he didn't even put the crown on. No, he wouldn't. That's right. And Triple H, I I don't really believe he ever said much about it afterwards, maybe briefly. Just I'm better than people. Like that's which is what Triple H says all the time. So that's kind of the reason behind the king dying off. I mean, obviously because these guys just didn't it wasn't a thing anymore that they want to put over, right? It was just a relic. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I was gonna say. So by the time we hit ninety eight and we we can kind of breeze over the next couple, that was the first year where I really felt like it didn't matter who won the King of the Ring. I know I know, I kind of cared, but you know, the years prior, I cared. I was like, who's right. going to win? This matters. And it was Ken Shamrock in 98. I don't remember them ever mentioning it almost ever again that he won the King of the Ring. You know why? Why? Because isn't that the pay-per-view with the Hell in the Cell in it? Yes, it is. So <laughs> then what yeah. the hell? Nothing matters at that pay-per-view. Now, this is going to be interesting because I know, Quinn, you you say that the King of the Ring 98 Hell in the Cell match is the best Hell in the Cell match of all time. Well, I'll stay neutral for a second. I know my opinion. Quinn does, too. Mm-hmm. But, Scott, I want to hear your side of it. Let's <laughs> let's do a one-on-one here. Scott versus Quinn on this 1998 King of the Ring Hell in the Cell between Undertaker and Mankind. Quinn, your case first. 
My case first is that it basically lives up to everything the Hell in the Cell should be. It's I understand that mankind is like almost dying, but like <laughs> that's the point. It like sells it. Like it's ridiculous what happens to him in that match. I just love it because it's 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 a spectacle. Nobody at the time knew what the hell was going to happen next after the first fall, let alone the second, and it still goes on. And then there's more. There's, like, tax and stuff, which wasn't even, like, common back then. So, I don't know. Like, to me, it eclipsed the first... And I'm the biggest Shawn Michaels fan ever, but, like, it eclipsed the first Hell in the Cell by a long shot. And nothing's ever been able to touch it since. Scott? People are always going to get pissed off at me whenever I talk about this match. <laughs> it doesn't matter which way my opinion sways on that, really. But I feel like you throwing the guy off the cell to start the match... You should have just called it a night at that point. I mean, it's like, what are you going to do to top that? And come on. Like, he threw him off the top of the cell and threw a table. And but they topped it. I don't think so. That's all everybody, anybody remembers. I mean, really, at that point, Undertaker could have dragged him in and gave him a tombstone and pinned him. I feel like. I mean, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know, Scott. It, it's just like, I think to me, that's what makes it I so mean, Vince crazy. Russo is that he, car wrecks, I guess, but. Yeah. What <laughs> makes it so crazy is that, like you said, it should be like that's that should be the topper but then he like is like no i'm gonna still fight and then he gets thrown through the freaking thing like unexpectedly and and like king's like oh he's dead like like it's just insane like and then it's to me as a fan i actually i'm a big mark when they bring the thumbtacks out for whatever reason and when he did that after he went through all of that i just couldn't like my brain exploded at that point. Quinn really likes uh, bulletin boards. <laughs> I guess he likes so, notices yeah. <laughs> on cork boards. I, I've always tried to be the voice of reason on this because Quinn and I had this debate recently. Here's where I fall on this one because I know you folks are just dying to know what I think. <laughs> King of the Ring is more of a spectacle. It has the more memorable high spots, right? a couple of them, and it obviously is the match that more people remember like Scott said, Vince Russo specialized in car crashes, and it's just like a glorified car crash. And it's the one that I would prefer to watch if I was in the mood to see something wild, you know, and yeah. and sensational. However, I will always stand by my opinion that the Bad Blood 97 Shawn Michaels Undertaker match is the better wrestling match overall Fair. You yes. know, if you're just gauging what yes. a wrestling match should yeah. be in terms of build up psychology, storyline, drama, and everything like that, that one takes the cake. Sure, but if you discount everything that makes a wrestling match good, then yeah, okay, sure, the second <laughs> one is better. I mean, exactly. That's, that's all you have. Exactly. Just discount everything that makes you right. And then, yeah, that's right. It's, it's a that's better what, show. So, so there you go. That's what Vince Russo did. I mean, yeah. that's, that was the Russo uh, era. Right. But at the same time, we've talked also on this show about how everything shouldn't just be a Meltzer star rating system. True. And entertainment quality has a lot to do with why I feel the, the second exactly. one's better. It, 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 I understand it's a car wreck. Maybe that's not a popular opinion that that's entertaining to watch. But I mean, it just was like, I can't, you know, in the end, no one died or anything, you in, know, in the end, sometimes you would rather watch a horrible reality show versus a very good scripted movie. Sometimes, yeah. But sometimes, yeah, sometimes you'd rather watch right. a damn good. It's what you're in the mood for. Classic. Yeah. Exactly. Now, does anyone remember who won King of the Ring 99? I do, only because you told me <laughs> recently. Very unmemorable. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, 99 was uh, the legendary Kip Sop, I believe. Yes. <laughs> who, then, who, then, 
who then proceeded to, as they say, Billy Gunn, the King of the Ring title from. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I, I hate King of the Ring '99. What a oh. that show was like the worst instincts of Vince Russo. Just just because by that point as well, like he was clearly burned out on wrestling and you know oh, yeah. booking everything on a napkin and yeah, just that was the show with Big Show against Kane for the first time. Not the last time, unfortunately, but... Unfortunately, no. I think that match happened a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it also was that infamous incident with Vince McMahon and Shane fighting Steve Austin and someone raised the briefcase. And the briefcase. Yes. I actually love that. <laughs> Why? Because... <laughs> Okay, oh, I'll tell No, can I can I I'm not yeah, but I can't it's, not, you. it's not a legitimate case. It's Okay, fine. It's more because of the fact that to me in my brain, I love the <laughs> I love the idea of that all these people own some weird percentage of the WWE in yeah. kayfabe. And to me that's like the root of all of that is like where they like they're fighting for like 50% of the company or something. It's awful. Like and and still to this day I always wish somebody would just write an article where somebody just broke down who in kayfabe technically owns what percentage of the world wrestling entertainment. Oh well, hey, no, actually, they 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 did have a flow. They had a flow chart on WWE.com at one point. Oh, no, did they did really? They? Yeah. Oh, they, it's like it, breaking down the uh, the corporate structure in, in kayfabe. Uh, you should actually Google it. It's hilarious. Wow. Oh, I, shit, I didn't that know that. Yeah, like like trip like Triple H on top as King of Kings and stuff. Yeah, it's it's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Um, but in, in terms of in terms of being able to like win control of a company from a wrestling match, I have a great idea, folks. Why don't you go to work tomorrow? Why don't you bring a steel <laughs> chair with you, just knock out your boss, yeah. and then count a three, and then you have control of your company. Scott, why don't you try that tomorrow? Um, I think my company's more like TNA, where, where whoever wins the women's title has control of the company. Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that what they say on TV all the time? They're like, yes, whoever... Yeah, so I, maybe I'll try that. We'll establish a women's championship, and then I'll, uh, I'll manipulate things behind the scenes to win it. And then I'll have all the power. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, 1999 is, is an awful pay-per-view, Scott. I totally agree with you. And I guess I, I, I briefly should mention, I forgot about this in 98. Shamrock won, but um, also it had that Steve austin Kane first blood match. The first first blood match, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, it was also kind of a, a, a huge miscalculation on Austin's part to accept a first blood match with a guy who doesn't have any skin showing. So I mean, yeah, what the fuck? You know, like, what, what did he, how did he think he was going to win the match? Understand, like that know? was bad. Did you while, while we're on the topic of that match? Because obviously Kane won the title there. He had it for a day, so yes. I, I know it's not like it didn't matter much in the long run. But did you find it strange that they even booked themselves into that? Like, why even give Kane? Why interrupt Austin's reign and why give Kane the title for a day? Because uh, they wanted a huge rating for sweeps. Like it was that's all it was. It was just a rating stunt, and uh, and it worked because that show did a goddamn huge number. So. Good for them, I guess. But yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like that Austin Kane match did boffo numbers. So, so I mean, yeah, from that perspective, it worked. Yeah. Okay. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I think that night as well, or maybe it was shortly after King of the Ring, but I think it was the next night. Is that where Mabel came back for one night as Mabel and fought Ken Shamrock because Shamrock had won the King of the Ring? Uh, I've wiped it from my brain, if so, but no, I, I, for that, thankfully. I remember that. You do? Okay. Yes. That was on Raw, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That, and that was weird, right? Because yes. that was, was that 
before Viscera. Before Viscera, right? Yes. Yeah, that was bizarre. He just came back for one night, attacked Shamrock during a promo. Right, it was something to highlight the just the King of the Ringness of it or something, yeah. but, it, but it didn't last very long. <laughs> yeah, King of the Ringness. Earlier tonight, it's King Mabel attacking Ken Shamrock from nowhere. So we've covered 99. I, I just want to briefly go through the, the next few because by, I mean, really by 99, it didn't matter. But by 2000, shit, I mean, Kurt Angle won, but who cared? That's what I thought. Scott, what do you what do you think? What happened here? The early 2000s, especially with the King of the Ring. Oh, I mean, the show was just dying on pay-per-view. Like it's, mm. you know, like the, the last 98 was the last one where it meant anything at all to, to draw in a buy rate. Like 99 was a complete flop. 2000 was yeah. a complete flop. So, I mean, like it was by that point, you could tell it was just like, it was something that was around, like it was kind of like Survivor Series in the sense that people kind of knew the name and, you know, it was, it was something to have on there, but it was no longer any kind of thing in Vince's mind. It was just put whoever yeah. over, like to, to build him up, like, like Kurt Ang in 2000, which, which did make for some fun stuff, admittedly. I do have one good memory of that was that? the Kurt Angle stupid crown. Yes. Do you remember it was like this really tall purple, like, oval thing on his head. Leave it to, leave it to him, you and, know? And he wore it like the... Proudly. Very proudly, yes. <laughs> leave it to Kurt Angle yeah. to do that. In 2001, folks, the tournament really didn't matter. If it didn't matter in 2000, it really didn't matter in 2001. And that was where we were christened with King Edge the Awesome. King Edge the Awesome. And of course, Greg, which gave us the, the infamous Billy Gunn line as well, which I, I quite enjoyed. Yes. But most people don't even remember. Well, you know, where he was, where him and Christian came out to the ring and, and, and after Edge had won the title on Raw and, and said that, you know, he, his greatest hope is that he doesn't Billy Gunn the King of the Ring title. Right. Oh, yeah. he said that. Yeah. Okay. I forgot that was him. Okay. Yeah, that was him. And then in 2002, a couple of notable things happened. One of them, <laughs> I'm somewhat being facetious. One of them is that Brock Lesnar became the king of the ring. Now, Brock was very new at this point, and it was almost a foregone conclusion, as the last few had been for me as a fan at the time. Yeah. But I, I knew Brock was winning this. There was no doubt in my mind yeah. Brock was winning, but I never heard him called King Brock. You know, no, I never heard I don't him. even remember seeing him wear a crown or anything. Do you want to? No. You Wearing do. a crown costs extra. Mm. Can't afford it. <laughs> yeah. <What> <laughs> <laughs> well, he does have a sword tattoo. I mean, he should have changed it to a scepter tattoo. Yeah, he yeah. should have a crown around that sword. That's good. Yeah. Anyway, but also something very great happened there, and I'm not being serious. The Undertaker uh, defeated Triple H. <laughs> great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in a 25-minute match in the main event. Oh. Yeah, that was during that time when Triple H would just have ridiculously long matches and yeah. act like he was the greatest wrestler of all time. That hasn't really stopped in the last 15 years. Eh, a little bit, but... <laughs> Every time know, he wrestles, it's a very yeah. long match and he yeah. acts like it's good. And The Undertaker was in his big evil phase, I think, yeah. or Booger Red. Booger or... Red, yes. Booger <laughs> Red, yes. This is a period of time that I know you did not like The Undertaker, right? This this early 2000s? No, that was... That was a bad time for him. God, that was that was a horrendously boring match, and uh, and kind of the, and like you know the one that they used is kind of like the kayfabe reason for splitting up the world titles yeah, as well. Exactly, after, right? <laughs> that's oh, absolutely okay. right. Yeah, so I mean, like that was that was not a good time. I th that wasn't that the one though where where Kurt Angle tapped out Hulk Hogan on that show too. Was that was that oh, you know, Yes. Yeah. So I mean, that was that was a pretty good match actually. And right. you know, it was nice, nice of Hulk to to go out there and put over Kurt. I don't know if he was counting on getting the win back or what, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he tried to get him. He tried to get his win back in TNA, probably. Yeah, Most probably. Likely. Yeah. 
definitely. Yeah, what surprised me. Also, King of the Ring 2002 was another show where, where uh, Jericho got really pissed off at me because uh, I gave his match with RVD kind of a low lean and he went off on a ramp. So that was... Did he really... He contacted you about that? He did a thing on his website and it was a thinly veiled reference to me apparently is what oh, I was wow. told. But, <laughs> so wasn't it was it's it wasn't as like it wasn't a direct thing like when when edge went off on me yeah. that's like uh yeah edge that, went but, off on you yeah it's because i i used to be I, I used to be in contact with edge all the time and uh and <laughs> we, we would chat and stuff after raw and then like i gave his match with eddie guerrero like it's like a four and a half star match and i said i yeah. made so it's like you know oh at this point in the match something happened and i deducted half a star and he was like he was like you're you're, you're stupid fucking smart and, uh, and then, then he never contacted <laughs> me again so oh, he's mellowed out since then i think but uh yeah <laughs> i would hope so all right we've gone through the pay-per-views yes gentlemen exhaustively well yeah it, ha- it has been exhausting it has been exhausting yes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> now there's been a few other kings since then yes um in 2006 we were graced with king booker Yes. Now, mm-hmm. what are our thoughts there, folks? I love King Booker. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, he's to me, he laid it on thick more than anybody else. He he did play it up. Scott, yes. what, what are your memories of uh, King Booker and Queen Charmel? Uh, not much. I mean, to be honest, yeah. I wasn't watching the products at that time. So like, oh, that's true. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, so, I mean, I, 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 but he was the, the appearances that he did on pay-per-view were pretty fun. And yeah, I mean, like he was a guy, he got the crown and he really sold it. Right. You know, he was, yep. this, oh, this yeah. was somebody who wanted to be king and, and wanted to yeah. play a character. Right. So yeah, it was, yep. it was, it was fun while it lasted, you know, by end, obviously then he's doing jobs to the boogeyman and stuff and it wasn't quite. Well, the boogeyman part is actually one of my favorite moments Ugh. with it because of the way Only Bo- you, no, well, because of the way Booker played it. Like it was like the way he did that whole thing where it led to some tag match with Charmel. All hail King Booker! First, I'd like to thank my dear queen for standing by my side with grace and beauty. They won somehow with the boogeyman, but there's like the funny part at the end where they're like they're celebrating in the back with each other, and then like the boogeyman like chases them out of like WrestleMania, literally. Like they run away. It was okay. good. Come yeah. on, it was right. a good little thing. Sounds Take great. Take it for yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was funny. I don't know. We had King Regal in 2008 or nine. That was weird. Was that when he was wearing like a dress? That's when he had that weird coat, and Layla was with him. Yes. Yeah, again, see, you I don't. I, I I was totally out of the, the thing. That that one just seemed like such such an obvious choice that they never went with it before, which is kind of weird. His it last name's weird. Regal. Yeah, his last name's Regal. Exactly, he's a lord. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't much, but I did. Uh, I really there was King Sheamus, but no one, literally, no one gave a shit about that. That well, was maybe dumb. Maybe a couple people, but I did like King Barrett only because he tried <laughs> to make the best of it. Yes. Well, it should be a momentous occasion. But I'm afraid I've got some bad news. He did. He did a decent job. But, you know, again, Barrett would never receive a push. That was that was another weird one, too, though, because it's like he was, you know, the it was bad news Barrett, which was a totally serviceable gimmick for him. And it was getting mm-hmm. him over. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you're the king now. It's like, well, why? Why does he need to be the king? Like, why? Why can't he just be bad news Barrett? You know, like, I don't I never got that one from and I I guess Barrett, Barrett never did either. So that's, that's probably one of the reasons why he left was that. 
you know, they couldn't decide what direction they wanted to go with him. I think it was one of those situations where he got over as a face when he wasn't supposed to. I I mean, if that's a real thing, but I believe that it is sometimes. Well, Joe, this is the same time period where they didn't want to push Daniel Bryan because even though he was over, like it's around that time. Yeah. So it's like, here's another guy that just gets himself over and, oh, well, we don't want to, we didn't mean to push, do <laughs> yeah, that. we didn't like, mean to. <laughs> yeah, like, so then they, and then they I, they put the King gimmick on him, which was ruined his, like, bad news thing, which was, was actually funny. It was like when Cesaro got over, and they're like, no, we didn't, that yeah. wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah. yeah. I, it's so crazy. They had all these years, right, where they just couldn't get anyone over, and then these people are organically getting over, and they're like, no, that can't happen. Yeah. Like, <laughs> crazy it is crazy but um so we we covered that and i I just wanted to go off on this tangent here before we close out the show so harley race as scott mentioned in the very top of the show here was the king of wrestling had the king gimmick you know notably you know visible at wrestlemania 3 Mm -hmm. fights a junkyard dog blah blah bow and kneel bow and kneel he gets injured uh, legit i believe in um in mid 88 and he has to bow out for a while And in the meantime, they coronate King Haku. Okay. So (laughs) Harley Race comes back at the end of 88, and he and Haku have a pretty decent match at Rumble 89, which was cut from the Coliseum video release, but it's on the network version. Yeah. And Scott, do you remember that match at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember Haku doing a pretty badass super kick finish it, but Race yes. was just done by that. Done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Like, they were removing, <laughs> removing parts of his intestine and stuff. Oh, God, it was like, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, he was, he, he, it was time for him to hang it up there. And it was kind of, kind of sad because that, that would have been a really badass match even like a couple of years earlier. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, in, in the Haku. state it was, no, it wasn't, wasn't the best. No, it wasn't the best. Haku tried, you know, they they tried, but uh, Haku retained his crown there, and he mm-hmm. was still the king. So this is what's interesting here in the lineage of the King of the Ring is Harley Race won the King of the Ring the tournament, tournament yeah. in 1986 and then defended that crown, or uh, sorry, abdicated, and then Haku was coronated, right. right? But it's still that lineage, right? Yeah, it's like a belt now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like a title. Exactly. So then... Haku defends it against Race and wins it. Haku defends it against Jim Duggan in 1989 yes. and loses it to Jim Duggan. So then we have King Duggan, which I hated when I was younger and I used to watch. I think he's King at SummerSlam 89 and I had the magazines and stuff, but I hated it at the time when I was younger. I like it now because it's just so yeah. funny. It's stupid, but I also, in a weird way, <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous, but I always look at him as the transitional king. <laughs> I was just going to say that. That's yeah. what his point is. <laughs> Isn't that crazy that that needs to exist? Is like, but it's oh. true, though, because they wanted Randy Savage to have the gimmick, right? But they right. needed a way to get there. Yeah, so that's what it was. <laughs> Duggan was a transitional king. Yeah, it's so absurd that there needs to be a transitional king to pass it to another heel, but there we have it right there. There's wrestling. That's right. Yeah. That's awesome. I never thought of that. You're absolutely right. He was the transitional king. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Then he, he loses it, of course, to Randy Savage. And Savage treated that whole gimmick in such a funny way because the first thing I remember is that he turned his bandana, he he went from a bandana into, like, a crown. It was like a doofy crown, <laughs> like a tiara almost. Yep. And he had Queen Sherry. Right. 
And a lot of times they would come to the ring on the throne, right. held by a bunch of jobbers. And he already had pretty royal music, even though it's a graduation music. That's it right. Sounded, yeah. 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 And uh, it totally made sense because all he had to do was say, I'm the macho king. <laughs> it's amazing to me that he just like was like, no, I'm not going to call myself the king of the ring or anything like that. I'm so narcissistic that yeah. I'm going to call myself the macho king. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's insane. <laughs> Not and he the got king. it over too. Let me tell you. Yeah, he did. He did. I mean, one of the great appearances of it is WrestleMania six. You know, you can see it in all its glory. There. Yeah, that's the real. You know, the prime time of his kingship, and that gimmick dies out at WrestleMania seven, right? Because as Quinn once told me, he didn't need it anymore because he got back together with Elizabeth. He, he got his lady back, so he didn't need to be a king anymore. No. Has anybody done like the linear version of the kingship now? Based on this, I wonder. See, that's because, what I'm like, saying. In, in theory, Warrior should have been like the Warrior King, right? So, right, right. That that makes sense. The Ultimate yes. Warrior King, or yeah. the Ultimate King Warrior. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And then who beat Warrior after that? No one. Right. Mm, he I never don't... lost again. No, he did some jobs he had to, to Undertaker. So. Oh, and the house show circuit. The, house oh, the Undertaker circuit. might have the kingship. King Taker. Yep. King, King Taker. <laughs> Oh, that's got to be tracked somewhere. So that's what I mean. That's why it's a side tangent, because yeah. it, it started with the Harley Race version, right? With the King of the Ring tournament. Right. But morphed into this, like, side thing that was going on parallel to the house show tournaments you know that what, were going on. You know what I just thought of, if you really think about it? What? <laughs> it's like the 1987 King of the Ring is just, like, living on, like, or whatever year he wanted in. Who? Race? Yeah. 86. Like, it's like, that's 86. the version of that crown that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Which one is the real kingship, though? I consider yeah. the 93 one a separate line. You think so? The pay-per-view that, if, version. Uh, if, we're, oh, God. if we're just bullshitting parallel here. Parallel universe yeah. is coming up now. Oh, man. Yeah. This is too much, right? This yeah. is like Back to the Future 2, where we need... Yes, it is. Doc- we need the chalkboard. Get the yeah, Doc Brown out here right now. Th- see, thank you, Scott, because I've always told Quinn that, that the mu- movie is so confusing that Doc needs to explain it. That's right. That's the... That's what passes for exposition in Back to the Future 2, where they literally have to stop the movie and have a character come out with a blackboard to explain what's going on. Yeah. Thank you. Here's where you two don't understand. Really? That Uh moment in that movie set all the time travel rules for, like, every movie ever. (laughs) Bullshit, It's necessary. That that movie is overrated by you, Quinn. It's a great movie. The first one's better. It's be- it's a better okay, film. Okay, okay, good. But it's not my favorite. It's almost like the Hell in the Cell yeah. debate. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's the same deal. <laughs> All right. Uh. Anyway, folks, to close out here, I want to mention one other thing. I don't know if either of you gentlemen um have heard of this. I happen to be somewhat of a nerd of very minute details and things like that. Yes. Very minute. Mm-hmm. Did you know either of you that there was a belt made in 1995 that went unused and it was a king of the ring belt that they intended to give to mabel but they never did huh i had i did, I did not, not know, know that, that but that is awesome yep. i see the picture up on your monitor there yes i put it up it looks it terrible it says king of the ring with the logo and everything reggie parks made it their their belt maker from that time you know that did the classic yeah. ic and winged eagle and all that i see some yep. flags on it too there's flags because i guess it's the king of the ring in all countries the king of the world <laughs> yeah <laughs> overall folks um we're just about done here overall scott i'll start with you with the king of the ring do you think that it was even worth it <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. It was, it was okay. <laughs> exactly. Four out of ten, basically. Yeah. Four out of ten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was okay. It was okay. It was not my favorite. I mean, you know, I love tournaments, but it was, it was you know, it was okay. The, the first, like, two were the only real notable tournaments themselves. And then 96, 96 only that's it. because of the Austin thing. Yeah. And 98, the pay-per-view has nothing to do with the tournament. It's yeah. more about the, the Mankind Undertaker match. But yeah, it's very much historically not a very good pay-per-view. Quinn, what do you think? It's a bit of a historical anomaly in wrestling to me. It's like, there was like a lot of it. If you re- like, from from Harley Race on, like it was a constant, <laughs> like this King thing, right? There like, was always a King, yeah. like other than the brief break after No More Macho King, mm-hmm. but that's only like a, what, two years, two years, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just weird that something that was so prevalent and like honored every year. I remember there was a point when, like, in the later King of the Rings, that they were acting like it was like this prestigious like thing, and that it it made you somebody because of Austin oh, when, or whatever. When like Regal won it and Barrett yeah, and all them, and yeah. like yeah. and like. Overall, in in history, we look back at it as like, okay, that happened. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know what I mean? Again, that four happened. out of ten, and like that. Who cares? Like, so yep. it's just it was just always weird to me that it that it even existed for as long as it did. I I totally agree. I think it should have stopped after ninety eight. That was maybe yeah. the last year where it had any hope. It was a pay per view that you know when you in in a world of the big four, you know when it started in ninety three ninety four. It was like, okay, let's add one in. It was a good time of year, I would say, to add yeah. one. And the first two are worth it, but none of them after that really are. Yes, it gave us Austin 316, but that's that catchphrase got Austin, you know, some some headway there. But uh, like Scott was saying before, it was really the Bret Hart feud that really made Austin who he was. Yeah. And yes, Hell in the Cell, it, we got that, and that helped make Mick Foley a bit. But even he didn't take off until about five months later when he became a comedy character. That's true. Not yeah. the, you know, not much happened at King of the Ring outside of those few things. And yeah, it wasn't worth it. And if you were to look at the modern day equivalent, I think money in the bank, which is like its replacement, essentially, mm-hmm. it's probably overall more significant. <laughs> well, if nothing else, it's given us world champions because of that fucking briefcase. Yeah, I, I say what you will about the briefcase, but I mean it's it's definitely at least it guarantees you a shot at the title, unlike the kingship did. Yeah. Do they really have to run out with the briefcase though when they do it? Like <laughs> we know they're the winner. Do they need to carry this stupid prop? It's just it's just I don't. It's know. for it the is, simpletons out yeah, there, it's, right? It's, you gotta you gotta just make it important. I don't. It's know. It's a visual metaphor. Well, yeah. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> well, I think that all about do it for our show, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in for this special tuning in. Yeah. <laughs> Pushing play, whatever. Yeah. For this special <laughs> edition of our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast, our King of the Ring special. Be sure to check us out on Monday for our next normal episode. That'll be episode number 36. And it'll be a great time, as always. We want to thank the one and only Scott Keith for joining us again for another of the big four. Yeah, or five. (laughs) So thank you, Scott. You're very welcome, guys. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, We hope to see you for the SummerSlam special in August. Mm -hmm. All right. 
Be sure to check us out at OVP Podcast on Twitter. You can email us at OVPpodcast at gmail.com. And Quinn, of course, they can go to our Facebook group. Yeah, you can go to the Facebook group, hit the join button if you're not already there, and yep. chat with the fans, uh, chat with us, whatever. Yeah, we're there. Maybe you could talk about the King of the Ring or whatever we're talking about. You don't have time. to talk yeah. about the King yeah. of the Ring. Don't worry, folks. Yeah. <laughs> but until uh, Monday, folks, have a great rest of your day. Have a great rest of your week. Have a great weekend. And we will see you on Monday. See ya. Bye. The fourth prestigious King of the Ring, Stone Cold Steve Austin, an incredible victory. Randy, is this one of the wrestlers? The first thing I want to be done is to get that piece of crap out of my ring. What is he going to do, throw him out of the ring? Don't just get him out of the ring, get him out of the WWF. Gorilla, is he dead? Because I prove, son, without a shadow of a doubt, you ain't got what it takes anymore. Did you two guys act like that in the ring when you were wrestling? You sit there and you thump your Bible and you say your prayers and it didn't get you anywhere. Hey, Randy. Talk about your Psalms, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says, How much does that guy weigh? Where are you? Stop. Stop. Stop.